0: Okay, so we're we're going to jump straight in. Um, And I think, first of all, I want to just give a a bit of a backstory to this whole situation. Um, So, originally there was enmity between God and the serpent, God and Satan. And that was the the, the context in which this uh, comes to us this morning. And there was active hatred, because that's what enmity means. It's actually active uh, hatred. And whenever the serpent, Satan saw God and saw that relationship that he had with Adam and Eve it sickened him a bit like when a teenager sees his parents kissing each other uh, and that was kind of how the serpent felt it just really sickened him he hated it maybe it was because he remembered he once had that kind of relationship and he fell from that because of his own pride So he wanted to get at Adam and Eve because he couldn't get at God. God was the one that he actually wanted to hit and to hurt, and he didn't have the power to do it. So he thought to himself, let's get at what God loves. God cherishes that relationship between Adam and Eve, so I'm going to infect that, I'm going to destroy that, and that's exactly what he set out to do. He despised that relationship. So like a smart weapon, he targets Eve and we all know what happened. Um, a bit like a, a vengeful child that you might find at school sometimes and jealous of, or envious of another child. Uh, that child's got some beautiful artwork and the other child comes along and ruins it and spoils it. That was the kind of attitude that, uh, that Satan had. And the best thing about it for him was he knew that if he was successful, God would have to punish Adam and Eve. And that to him was the icing on the cake. And so then there's this uh, judgment that, that God gives on Satan and this is the point which we all miss sometimes what he said is i'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed so that enmity that existed between God and Satan is now transferred onto uh, Satan's seed and the woman's seed and we tend to lose sight of the uh, the promise of the first messianic promise because he says Uh, her seed is going to crush your head and you're going to bruise or wound his heel. And we think, oh yeah, of course, that's uh, that's Jesus. There's no no problem there. We can easily see that. But of course, Satan couldn't see that. Eve couldn't see that. And you can understand then why, uh, for all of a sudden, Satan was very interested in this firstborn child, this child called Cain. Satan thought, this is the one that's going to come along. This is the one... That is actually going to crush my head. What can I do to stop this? So Cain took more. Uh, a certain took more than a, a passing interest. There was that enmity there, and so you can see why that uh, that was so important to the of the enemy, can't you? And so Cain and Abel grew up in a believing home. They both believed in God, and. Um, as we look at what they became it says that Cain became a tiller of the soil really just like Adam and then we move on and then we find that uh, Abel decided that wasn't the life for him Uh, he decided he wanted to be a herder of flocks a shepherd if you like and you could say well maybe he took after his mum more of a caring role perhaps I'll just leave that with you but that was what uh, what Abel chose for himself and one, one of the things I was going to do is, is sort of very briefly straight through with you that line so setting a bit of homework uh, this morning so when you get home just look at shepherds in the bible because here right at the beginning we have the very first shepherd and when I was preparing this is really exciting as you see it going through Moses David the Psalms Jeremiah Ezekiel and then when Jesus comes onto the scene, you will, most of you know when, when your, your baby is born. Um, first thing you think is, all right, let's tell mum, let's tell dad, who will we tell first? Uh, it's easy now, you just pick up a mobile phone, but we had to go and use um, pay phones in the hospital at the time. Um, and so when God decided to send his son into the world, who is the first person that he tells? Not a ruler, not a king, not a priest, not a Levite. But shepherds, can you see that the heart of God right there for shepherds? And then, if you track that right the way through, you'll then come, of course, uh, into uh, Revelation, and there you see the Lamb on the throne will become their shepherd. Do trace that through; that's really exciting. So, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll see Jesus in there very, very clearly. And at first, I thought you've got Jesus has got his fingerprints all over the Old Testament, but in fact it's more than that. There's a a full photo ID of Jesus within those pages, written hundreds of years before he came. So I encourage you to, to look at that. So Abel then chose a more perhaps contemplative life because that was one of the advantages of being a shepherd. You had to lead your flock, not like shepherds uh, that that we're familiar with these days. You had to lead your flock, you had to find pasture for them, find water for them, and sometimes you had to spend the night away because you'd gone too far. There's not enough time to get back, it would be dangerous to try and get back. And so you can see then in that contemplation, you that you then had uh, abel just thinking about things so long before david came on the scene abel was looking up at the stars in the sky abel was seeing god's mighty hand uh, in those those stars and that wonder and the all the creation that he would have seen and the wonder and all that he would have had and can you imagine the the joy that he had when the lambs were well, lambing time it's always a busy time for for sheep farmers but just that creation of god and so Abel would have reflected on God, would have reflected on his greatness. He also would have reflected on God's love because he knew that his mum and dad had fallen. And yes, although they'd been punished, they'd been put outside of the garden, still there was God's love and mercy there that he would have reflected on. And I think Cain then would reflect on his own heart and realised in himself that he can do nothing. He has nothing that he can bring to God. There is no goodness in him as the Bible says, our good deeds are like filthy rags. And so I think it was at that time that Cain developed this faith that he had in God because he suddenly realized that he alone could do nothing. He had to trust and believe in God. So, in many respects, Abel was the first man of faith in the Bible. Adam and Eve didn't need faith, they'd walked with God in the cool of the day. But Abel and Cain, they required faith and these boys, they didn't get on that well together. Um, I don't know know whether they shared a bedroom when they were uh, growing up, but they really did not get on that well together. They they had a bit of a problem, and I can understand that Cain maybe felt superior. Cain was the one that had to, to, to painful toil, God says, and sweat of your brow. And I can imagine sometimes he'll see Abel coming back, and he says to Abel, had a hard day, Abel, yeah? Yeah, following the sheep around. Oh, it's been a hot day today, hasn't it? Been sitting in the shade of the tree. Yeah, yeah I, I was doing weeding today. It was, I got, got a bit burnt as well. Did you have a tough day? I don't really think they, they were happily uh, in that kind of relationship. And we do see them, they're worshipping together as a family. So you'd have had Abel, you'd have had Cain, Adam and Eve, and by then they'd have had other children as well, all there. And in the fullness of time, the Bible says, they bring uh, their offerings. So an offering needs an altar, so there would have been two altars. And you can understand then that Cain brings his offering out, this beautiful uh, collection of fruits and grain and harvest, And he would have set that out. I can imagine him stepping back and looking at it thinking, i have just straightened that up a bit. And then Abel comes with the fat of his offer of of lambs. And I think maybe uh, Cain even thought to himself, call that an offering? That doesn't look very appetizing. But anyway, there we are. So both offerings are on the altar. And I think we can deduce from the rest of Scripture that, that fire fell from heaven. And I don't see anything wrong with that. So you can imagine then... Um, fire suddenly consumes Abel's uh, sacrifice, Abel's offering. And uh, I think maybe Cain must thought, oh, why, why not mine first, I got here first. But I think then also he thought, well, actually, Cain, uh, Abel is second best. You wait till you see mine. And so he waited and he waited and he felt awkward. He felt embarrassed and waited And when you're waiting for something, you know you get really cross at times. And that anger was beginning to build up in him. And so um, maybe Adam and Eve were saying, well, look, we've really got to get the kids to bed now. So uh, we'll we'll go. And so everyone then walks away and leaves Abel there in that embarrassment. And that fury begins to, to grow in him. And he's thinking to himself, i cleared this soil i tilled it i sowed the seeds i weeded it i looked after the harvest i maintained it i harvested it i prepared it all and this is how you thank me you humiliate me in front of my family and cain was absolutely furious he wasn't really so much angry with abel but he was furious at god but just notice the way that god comes aside and sits beside him metaphorically and he says to uh, to cain why are you angry uh, notice he doesn't say to cain what's made you angry god, god no anyway where he doesn't say to Cain, what's made you angry? He says, why are you angry? In other words, what God is trying to do is to get Cain to look inside of him, look at his reaction, look at the way he's responded to the situation, and deal with that. And um, that, of course, is what Cain doesn't do. But we're in the same boat, aren't we? <laughs> there are times when uh, we're upset, we're angry, we're confused, and god does exactly the same to us he comes alongside us and he sits beside us and he doesn't say as your wife might do when you come home uh, angry from work something's gone wrong he doesn't say to to us what's gone wrong he says why why are you upset why are you angry why are you depressed and so the first thing that god wants to do in any situation is for us not to look at the problem but for us to look inwards for us to look into ourselves and to see where that problem actually is, to see where the root and the stem of it, and then God will say, "Well, let's let's you look at yourself. Let's not look at the, uh, the 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 situation. Let's look at your response to the situation, and that's always God's starting point. And then, of course, God in His grace will deal with the situation and will work it out for us and with us. And sometimes these things happen." just to shape our character sometimes there, there is no reason why this bad thing has happened God just is using it to make us more like Jesus why are you angry why are you upset and so he, he warns uh, Cain he says sin is crouching at the door and it wants you it wants to get at you uh, that's really what it's all about it's yours Cain that there is a way back and there always is a way back and and he says to Cain, if you do well, won't you then be accepted? In other words, what God is saying to Cain is, I don't want your works. Don't bring me what you've done. Bring me faith. Bring me trust in me. And what he says is that sin is crouched, but you must overcome it. And to Cain, that must have seemed like a mountain to climb to overcome sin. And it's the same with us. And the purpose of God saying to Cain, you must overcome it was to make Cain realize that he had to come to God and trust him and allow God to work in and through him to actually then overcome sin because that's the only way it can be done we can't do it in ourselves we have to do it through faith and trust and that's really where God was trying to lead Cain to notice there's not a third way God doesn't say oh well you could go on this anger management course There's not a third way, and there isn't a third way. There are only two ways. One way is to do nothing. The other way is to take up God's offer. And that's what Cain didn't do. He didn't take up Cain's offer. And the pain that was there, he had that choice, and he chose not to. But God makes us those two choices today. He says, well, you can come to me, or you can just leave things as they are. You can come to me in repentance and trust. Ask me for my forgiveness. Hand your life over to me. Give me everything. And then let's work together. Let's build your life. Let's give you a brand new life. And this life is then going to go on to eternity. Or you can do nothing. As I did nothing two weeks ago. Car insurance came. Renewal. I thought, yeah, I must do that. Two weeks to go. If I go, go to them early, then I'll be able to negotiate this down. That looks a bit high. Um, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I kept pulling it off, kept pulling it off. I'll do it tomorrow. Automatic renewal, don't forget. And, uh, and yesterday I thought, went, ah, oh, oh, it's tomorrow today, actually. I suddenly realized that I've just let it go too far. So now my bank account is, well, I won't tell you how much, but it's, it's quite a bit poorer now because I did nothing. And that's all you have to do. You only have to do nothing. The choice is yours. So why did God reject Cain's offering? Uh, That's actually not the right question. The question to ask is why did God accept Abel's offering? I think that's more to the point. And the reason why was because he realized that belief in God wasn't enough. Cain believed in God. What was required was faith in God. And he realized that he couldn't do this in his own deeds. So he saw that in himself he'd got faults Abel wasn't a sinless man by any means but he was a man with faith and as it says in, uh, in Hebrews it's almost like an exchange. Uh, Abel comes to God in faith and God says yes you've given me your faith here is your righteousness and righteousness uh, is a gift from God and Cain realized that and Cain was living that life of faith trusting God for that faith. So why was Uh, abel's rejected uh, cain's rejected let's go back to that some people say well because it was a bloodless offering and they say well let's look back adam and eve uh, they sewed together fig leaves and god said no 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 god's not a fashion critic Um, god then had to slay some animals to make uh, skin coverings for them so people say that and they say abel cain's uh, sacrifice uh that was that was bloodless and that's why god rejected it i, I don't really uh, subscribe to that view i can see there's a lot to to, to commend it but the, the problem is that the actual word that's used the hebrew word that's used is minha which means a voluntary offering an expression of devotion and in the pages of leviticus it is actually more a grain offering so you could say that actually cain got it right and abel got it wrong but um you know you need to to look at that so there is a word for a sin offering there is a word for a guilt offering that's not the word that's used here you then kind of paint yourself into a corner if you take that view because you then say well what if Cain had suddenly thought Abel uh, can I have one of your lambs then I'll bring that to God or what if on their way um, uh, Cain had said to Abel would you want a swap and Abel said, said, yeah, that, that's fine. Would, would Cain then have been accepted? Of course not. The problem with Cain was Cain himself. Cain's real problem was that uh, God does not separate the offering from the offerer. So it wasn't that Cain's offering was rejected because of the offering. The offering was rejected because of Cain. Cain didn't bring it in faith he was giving offering god religion if you like and so now we've got the situation that uh, cain is really angry who's he angry with well of course he's angry with god he's not really angry with abel he couldn't really care less about abel um, but he was furious with god and when he saw that relationship that abel had with god That close relationship it seconded him. He despised it. It made him feel unwell. He wanted to get at God, so he targets Abel, just like um, a a smart weapon that he's aiming at. It's like a child who's at school who's jealous of another child's work, and he sees the artwork. He tries to. You can see we've been here before, can't you? And can you see how now Cain has become? the child of the serpent can you see how all that the serpent had all that hatred that he had towards God has now been transferred onto Cain the one who Eve thought maybe this is the one that's going to crush the serpent's head that was now transferred onto Cain so the serpent had got hold of Cain he planned he schemed the murder And all that was uh, was stomach-churning. Just the the callousness of it. Hey, Abel, let's uh, let's go out into the fields. And so uh, they go out into the fields. Can you imagine the scheming that was done? I need somewhere out of sight. I need somewhere to dispose of the body. And so that's what he does. But even still, God hasn't actually given up on Cain. He comes to Cain. He knows what's happened, and he says to Cain, "Where is your brother?" where is your brother and he's giving Cain one last chance to to fall down and say I've done something really terrible I shouldn't have done it but he doesn't he lies to God he says I don't know he then says to God in insolence am I my brother's keeper am I my brother's keeper I don't know why God didn't execute Cain Uh, maybe his line was important and it's very interesting if you actually follow um, Cain's line through because that's where we get uh, music from that's where we get technology from that all comes down through um, the line of Cain not that that those things are evil but that was what it came through and then if you follow down through uh, Abel's line so Abel is then replaced by Seth you follow Seth's line through And that's fascinating to follow that through. And that goes right the way down through, through Noah. Um, It goes all the way down through David. It goes all the way down through to Mary, to Joseph, to Jesus. So I just spent a bit of time looking at that. It's really fascinating. The the, um, uh, genealogists do have quite an important thing. And so uh, the punishment is given. And Cain is told, because you have desecrated the soil, this soil will no longer yield uh, uh, food for you. So the only thing, the very thing that Cain was good at, God took that away from him. And the result of that, of course, was that to get food, he'd have to go and work for people, he'd have to go and bargain with people. And so that was why he became a wanderer. And the other thing was that he had to leave the presence of God. He had to, to be outside of God's presence. And you can see then that there's that separation between Cain and God. And sin always separates, it always separates us from God. So, one thing I want to close with, close with, can you see Jesus in Abel? And that's one of the great things about the Bible. That's why I say we have this photo ID all through the Bible. Can you see Jesus in Abel? Let me just give you a few pointers Abel lived the life that pleased God. Jesus pleased God. Abel was declared righteous by God. Jesus was righteous personified. Abel bought a lamb slain for an offering. Jesus was that lamb that was slain for an offering. Abel was hated by his brother. Jesus was hated by some of his brethren. Abel's brother schemed and planned his death quite carefully. Jesus' enemies plotted and schemed his death quite carefully. Abel's blood was shed. Jesus' blood was shed. Abel still speaks to us, though he's dead, Hebrews tells us. And Jesus' blood still speaks to us, and he's alive forevermore. And as it says in Hebrews, you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel's blood was crying out to God for justice. For justice. Jesus' blood cries out to God for mercy, for forgiveness, for atonement. And that's... The, the better word that Jesus' blood is, is giving. So this morning, that offer is open to all of us. God is saying to us, you can come to me, you can turn to me in repentance, it's up to you. Or you can do nothing and just leave things. You can put it off, saying, maybe later. Thank you. God bless.